I'm Jonathan Capehart and welcome to Capehart. When you hear the name Lena Waithe, you think of the Emmy Award-winning writer, the actress and producer behind the Netflix series Master of None and Showtime's The Shy. But Lena Waithe's big passion is Hillmengrad, the production company she founded in 2015 to create a pipeline for marginalized storytellers in filmmaking. In this conversation, first recorded on July 7th for Washington Post Live, Waithe and Hillmengrad CEO Rishi Rajani join me for an insider's view of and a rather nuanced conversation about representation in Hollywood. As important as it is to change the face of who the creators are, it's also important to change the face of who the executives are. It's important that we don't assume that just because two people are Black, they're going to see something the same way artistically. It's really about ensuring that Black artists aren't forced to change their vision because, say, maybe another Black exec sees it differently because they came from two different walks of life. Lena, let me start with you. As we noted in, in the intro on the screen, uh, you've said about Hillman grad, quote, our goal is to not only open doors for the next generation, but to also keep those doors open for generations to come. Talk more about your mission. Um, I think it's really to ensure that, you know, the bug doesn't stop here. You know, I think it's about ensuring that the business continues to grow, it continues to flourish and that people have opportunities that they really can, you know, take advantage of. And mm-hmm. I just think it was important that we continue to hold our mentees hand throughout their journey because there's no finish line. And when we act as if there is one, people tend to get lost and they fall, they fall behind. And so we want to continue to hold people's hand. That, that is a great, uh, a great thing to remind people. There's, there is no finish line. Um, Rishi, you once wanted to work on Wall Street. So how did you get into this whole entertainment business and into the leadership at Hillman grad? Well, it's funny because I, I didn't know that this job existed. You know, I, I didn't know that being a producer existed. I didn't know that getting into the film and television industry and getting to be um, a creative advocate was a real career path. And so um, in going to NYU, uh, I, I initially thought, oh, well, I just need to go make a bunch of money so that I can you know, be able to finance art at some point. But um, there I discovered a community, a community of artists. And um, you know, NYU has a fantastic film program, and a lot of those filmmakers needed a support system. And so I became that support system at school, and that kind of segued into the career and the career that I've had in Hollywood over the past 10 years. Um, I think Lena saw something in me. Uh, which I will always really appreciate um, in terms of getting to become her partner and building out Hillman Grad. And together we've been able to support a lot of artists for for the past many years. I want to get into the meaning of of Hillman Grad in, in a moment. But I do know, Rishi, when you first met Lena, you and she connected on your shared mission to create protest art. Explain what protest art is. It's interesting because I think uh, while our mission initially really was kind of like focused around this idea of protest art, it's really grown, I think, bigger and more beyond that, which is that there's this sort of quote unquote diversity renaissance in Hollywood and this idea that, you know, we need to tell stories from underrepresented artists and voices. However, I think Lena and I got really frustrated by still being put into a box, still feeling like those stories were incredibly monolithic. There's only one way to be a queer person. There's only one way to be a black person. There's only one way to be a brown person. And I think for us, 
what we wanted to do, and, and I think our own form of protest and our own form of making revolutionary art is to really be able to build a platform for people who have never had their stories told to tell their stories, for people who have never been the hero to be the heroes. And that's really what we want to do at Helmingrad, is to be that platform that supports system and introduce new voices into the ecosystem. Because I don't think anyone is really doing that and no one is really searching for um, you know, people across the spectrum of race and sexuality and geographic location and age and disability and financial status and acknowledging that Hollywood hasn't done the best job of finding, um, you know, stories from people that don't come within like Hollywood families. And we want to be that for people. You know, in fact, you um, in an in an interview the, where you said this in the interview, I can't find it, but this quote is from you. Says it's not just racial diversity, it's not just sexual diversity, it's geographic diversity, it's financial diversity, it's diversity of disabilities, it's age diversity, it's really anyone who hasn't been given a space. That's what Hillmengrad is. And so, Lena, coming back to the name Hillmengrad, anyone who's watched the Cosby Show or a Different World knows. That Hillman was the fictitious HBCU. Um, that um, the the oldest child's name is, is is escaping me right now. But that's where she went. So why did you name Denise? Yeah, Denise, Denise. So yeah. why did you name your your company Hillman Grad? Um. Well, it really started out as my Instagram handle, uh, and it was sort of a funny thing. You know, those that knew knew. Those that didn't, didn't. And it kind of also helped me to kind of see who my people were. Like, if you knew, if you winked at me about it, then it meant, oh, okay, you know, you're paying attention. And that's really all it was for a while. And then I got cast in a Netflix show and people knew who I was. And my publicist was like, you got to change your Instagram handle to your name. And I was kind of sad about that. But when it came time to create, you know, the production company, it really was about, Oh, okay. I want to call it something that is close to my heart. And that is the world of a different world and what that show represented for me and so many other people. So, because, and also too, Debbie Allen, Susan Fells Hill, both people that I now got the honor to work with were spearheading. And also Gina Prince-Bythewood who wrote on that show, who I got to work with. Reggie Bythewood wrote on that show, who was a mentor of mine, who was his birthday today, who I reached out to him. Like a different world represents a community of artists and people and storytelling that's not always easy, but it's always entertaining. And I think that to me is something that I was very inspired by. And I think it's really what Hillman Grad is all about. It's about entertainment that is relatable, um, but very, but presented in a way that's very beautiful because our audiences deserve beautiful art just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. I'd love to get you, the both of you to respond to something that Brene Myers uh, of Netflix said to me here almost a year ago. It was a, a, a year, it was, like it was July 30th of last year when I interviewed her. Um, she talked about um, the quote unquote inclusion lens. And she said, we are creating such excitement and innovation just by changing who's writing, who's directing, who's behind the camera, who's in, who's in front of the camera. Rishi, you, you go first. Do you share that view? I do and I don't. I think that it's really important to be shifting who gets to tell stories, to be making sure that the people um, you know, in front of and behind the camera look different than they have ever before. I also think it's really important to think about um, equity when it comes to budgets. 
of shows. I think that that has been a pretty significant mm-hmm. issue is that you'll give a person of color their TV show and then make them make it for half the cost of a TV show by a well-established white creator. Um, and I also think that there needs to be a lot more um, equity and inclusion amongst the ranks of decision makers um, at the studios, at the networks, at places like Netflix. When you get to the highest ranks of those, you still end up with a lot of those faces, the same faces we've been seeing for the last you know, 10 years in those position of powers that ultimately get to decide what gets greenlit and what doesn't get greenlit, what the budget is, what the budget isn't. And so as much as important as it is to change the face of who the creators are, it's also important to change the face of who the executives are. And it's also important to start thinking about how do we increase the budgets for these shows because we've established that these audiences exist out there um, and there's an appetite for this content. Lena, your thoughts. I mean, I think that it's important that we don't assume that just because two people are black, they're going to see something the same way artistically. And I think, I think it's really about ensuring that Black artists aren't forced to change their vision because, say, maybe another Black exec sees it differently because they came from two different walks of life, you know? And so I think what's really important, and that's something that's really nuanced, is that no matter who's in the room, it's about, I always want to ensure that the artist has a way to express themselves and to ensure that their vision is what lands on the screen because that's ultimately when the audience will really receive it. And so I think it's really about making sure that everyone is on the same page creatively. And and so that way, culturally, if everybody's different, at least the creative space can remain protected. And I think that's something that's really important for for all of us moving forward. Let me stick with you here, Lena, because you have deals at a slew of studios and telling stories, um, the stories you want to tell. And I'm just wondering, how have you found creative agency and inspiration in your story? Well, I mean, I think what's interesting about my story is that all the things that make me who I am are things that some may say are different. They may say, oh, this makes you othered or this sort of puts you in a minority group. But in essence, it's really, I think, made me appeal to so many people because I think most people feel like an outsider or they feel like they don't fit in or that they don't really know where they belong. And I think that is what helps me to be able to relate to people because I can have empathy. I can give grace. I I really, and I can do that with the characters that I create, that I write, is that I, I always say I don't believe in heroes or villains, because we could be either, depending on the day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, that is, (laughs) given the day, or maybe even time of day, you never know. Someone gets gets on your last nerve. (laughs) (laughs) Rishi, I was trying to find, um, I guess I know in my notes, I saw something um, in there about how you really love storytelling. And you were that kid who was in the library with the books and reading. And so I'm wondering, given that you love storytelling, what are you looking for in, in the storytelling you love? You're, you're the CEO of Hillman Grad. If I came to you with an idea, what idea would you be hoping I come to you with? Oh, it's such a good question. I, I think, uh, you know, it, ultimately, I think for Hillman Grad, um, our objective and approach when we 
consider content and material that comes in is to really think about like the the reason for it existing in the world. Um, I think, you know, especially in this moment right now, we have a real responsibility as one of the, you know, it's one of the few production companies that really has like an emphasis and focus on underrepresented voices and underrepresented artists. So it's not just good enough to put out a piece of material that's just like, it's a good movie or a good idea. It's also, I think, really important to think about what it's saying and what its intention is. And is it allowing us to see the world in a different light? Is it presenting a perspective that we haven't seen on screen before? Does it help normalize? Does it help kind of um, showcase like sort of the idea that, you know, perhaps us, even though we may look differently as two human beings, um, you know, we can see things the, similarly and that there's a lot of divides and, and kind of like, you know, there's a lot of think issues kind of facing the country right now for people of color. And it's our job at Helmograd to make sure we're putting out perspectives that we can really stand behind and be proud of um, when it comes to the content we put into the world. Um, and so, you know, you know I, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I, I, I would give going, a couple yeah, I'll give a couple examples of just things that we have that are coming down the pipeline that we're really excited about. You know, there's a um, there's a, a film a filmmaker named A.B. Rockwell that Lean and I are are really excited about. Who um, you know came to us with it with a project called A Thousand and One that represents a, um, a a beautiful mother son story set across a gentrifying New York City and represent a perspective that we haven't seen before. That's played cat and captured beautifully by Tiana Taylor. Um, you know, we have a film called Chang Can Dump. It's coming out with Disney Plus that is about a five foot seven Chinese American kid that's trying to learn how to dunk a basketball. And in itself is a really fun and entertaining film, but again, represents a different kind of coming of age high school experience that we've never seen before. And so it's exciting for us because these are the types of filmmakers who these are their first films and they haven't had an opportunity yet in the ecosystem. So we want to give them the opportunity. But they're also telling stories that I think will really allow people to see themselves. And I think that's the most important thing for us. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sorry for, for cutting you off there for, for a moment there, Rishi, because I was jumping in to ask Lena the, this question, jumping off something you had said in, in that moment. In an interview almost a year ago, two years ago, July of 2020, in an in, uh, interview with IndieWire, uh, you said, Lena, being an activist, is not everybody's ministry. But you can't be a black artist today and not be affected by what's happening in some way, shape, or form. That was two years ago, and looking at the date, that is about a month, almost a month after the killing, the murder of George Floyd. Two years, mm -hmm. two years hence. Uh, talk more about that. Do you, you still feel as strongly as that, as, uh, that quote sounds? Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Uh, I still stand on that and that, and not, not for any reason to, to feel as if, oh, to say that I was right, but more to be honest about how I feel now. And I am very much affected by what's happening in the world. And I also feel very powerless in many ways, which I think I'm not alone in that. Um, but I think what I can do where I have some sort of power is at my keyboard, is within my work to either write away from it so that way the audience can get a breather and society can get a break. Or I can also, if I choose, want to walk into it and, and talk about 
sort of try to reflect back to us what our experience may feel like and and to let everyone know that it's okay to not have all the answers and to not always have it together. I think that what to me when I'm watching something that's showing a very human experience, I feel seen. And I think that's what I think that's what especially artists of color are sort of that's it's, maybe it's a dilemma, but it's also just a part of it, part of the artistic journey. Uh, because I think so much interesting work is coming out in these times because that's how artists grapple with what's going on in the world is we we purge uh, into the work and hopefully it touches someone when it reaches audiences. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You know, Rishi, there are so many outlets now for artists to have their works to have their works seen. And I'm wondering how the multiplication of platforms from television to streaming, how that's provided or whether it's provided more opportunities for not just diverse storytelling, but for people of diverse backgrounds to tell their stories. Yeah, I mean, the landscape has obviously allowed for a lot more buyers, a lot more people that have, have gotten into the streaming space that has been you know, really exciting from the perspective of being sellers and being producers. Um, I think it's also become a lot harder to stand out. And so one of the things that we have been seeing is this shift in these streamers who I think for a certain period of time were the places to be able to go make movies that were uh, a little bit more experimental, a little bit lower in budget. And unfortunately, I think we're sort of, um, uh, we're kind of coming out of that zone. And I think there's, because there's so much competition between all the various streamers, um, they're in some ways almost, I think, um, acting like the big studios did uh, in the past and, and looking for big packages, big talent, big movie star names, big writer director names. And so um, while there was, I think that sort of like that, that really great moment where we were seeing a lot more um, work from diverse creators and, and emerging filmmakers getting picked up, I think it's gotten just competitive in that way before. And I think everything's shifting and the landscape of movie theaters themselves and who's actually going to go see movies in theaters has changed so much that I don't think we know what the film industry is gonna look like five years from now. But I know that, that artists still need advocates. And so we get a lot of news every single day when we're pushing these types of stories. And we just need to kind of keep on our drum and making sure that we're the people that stand by these artists. And so that's why good producers need to exist. Mm -hmm. Now, among the, the most um, well-known productions of Hilmingrad is The Shy, which is in its fifth season, already streaming, uh, on on Showtime, I want to play a clip um, from the from the new season where Emmett tries to convince Tiff to come home and be a family. I didn't need to talk to you. Did you need to get drunk to do that? My dad brought that Hennessy. You know that to get you emotional. I know. That's what I told him. See, you get me. We get each other. 
you please stop all this and come back home? We need to be together. I want me, you, and EJ to be a family again. That's what I've been praying for. I'm begging you. Come back home. Come on, you really trying to stay with your mom? I heard that. Good. Don't make me come in there. Please stay where you at. We talking. In my house. Ma, stop. Please. I just need time. Time for what? To figure out what I want to do with my life. I'm not happy and you know it. I feel like I've been chasing you my whole life and when I finally got you, I thought it was because you wanted me to be your wife. But you didn't. You was just scared. I was scared. I was, but I'm not anymore. I, and um, I'm not going to do any spoilers. Um, that is in episode one. Um, you just have to watch to find out her decision, which is in that in that scene. But I wanted to show that I wanted to show that scene, Lena, because it gets back to something that you said in November 2019 in another uh, on Colbert, where you said, as an artist, I want to humanize Black people. So, so much that maybe they'll stop killing us. And what I found interesting about that was that was about eight months before George Floyd. Talk about why the shy is so important and why it's important that it is now in its fifth season. I think the shy has something that is just innately human. It just speaks to the human experience of trying to figure out love, trying to find out who you are in your community, trying to figure out what kind of life you want to live and, and how you want to be perceived by your family, by your people, by yourself. And I think these are all the things we grapple with on the show. And in essence, in that scene, you're seeing that, you know? Emmett is like, I'm ready. I want to be a family man. I want to be a husband. I want to be a father. And she is already past her breaking point. It's too late. He messed up one too many times. And so now he'll be forced to figure out who he is um, without that picture that he wanted. And she'll have to figure out who she is and what she wants. And I think so many people are on that journey and don't know how to vocalize it. And I think seeing Black people in, a, in sort of the sort of middle class, working class environment, which I think that's what I come from, that's what I know, it's people just really figuring it out day to day. And I think that's what people can really relate to. And I think it just generates these conversations and people are really passionate about their opinions and their predictions <laughs> um, and who they're rooting for. Uh, but I also get a big education in terms of the double standard, because a lot of people will say, I, I don't know why Emmett is even running after Tiff, you know, but it's like, but Emmett was unfaithful. Emmett didn't necessarily do right by her all these years. He wasn't, you know, taking care of their son for a long time, but he is often more forgiven uh, by the audience. And Tiff, you know, she gets it a lot. She, she, she gets a lot of hits. And I find that to be very, um, it's very interesting, shall we say. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, the thing about the, the, the stories are relatable, I think also, and tell me if I'm wrong, because it is y'all's show, 
Um, but they're relatable because the stories and the characters are, the relationships are complicated uh, mm -hmm. and their lives are complex. And I think we've gotten, in we've gotten so used to seeing our stories presented in a two-dimensional or one-dimensional or throwaway fashion that to see mm -hmm. Black people living, living complex and complicated lives is something that's like, whoa, this is, this yeah. is real. Yeah. And I, I, what I realized is how much the show means to people. Uh, what's so gratifying is when I'm out in New York or I'll be, you know, in DC and Atlanta and they'll say, I love the shine, you know, and I'll say, oh, I think because people say it reminds me so much of our city or reminds me of the politics here or reminds me of my family and how we get down. And so I realized that it's really about the city, it's, but it's about the people. And I think some people, you know, may feel like, oh, is it very Chicago? Is it very Chicago? And it's like, yeah, because that's where it is. It's just innately Chicago. And, but the stories are really have a broader appeal. I mean, this season, our fifth season, it was our most watched premiere in the history of the show. So it means that people are talking, they're telling people about the show and we're gaining a bigger crowd because it's, it's the complexities that keep people coming back. And we plan on continuing to make these characters complex and you won't know who to root for by the end of the season. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, we've got less than, uh, um, less than five minutes left. Um, Rishi, unless you want to add to that, I got to get you both on on what will probably be a final question. Well, the one thing that I will, I will chime in and add to that is I'm I'm so proud of Lena and so proud of the show, but not just because of the content that is appearing on everyone's television screens, but Lena's also turned the series into a launching pad for filmmakers, up and coming filmmakers, getting their first episode of TV to direct off the show. We had a couple of filmmakers uh, named Quincy, DeAndre, and Boma that all got their first starts on this season of the series. Lena's also turned it into a platform for showcasing the work of up and coming black designers through the fashion and the looks on the show. Um, and so it's become a community effort in a lot of ways and kind of grown bigger than even just the content of the series itself. And so it represents everything we're trying to do here at Homegrad and turning these into community building initiatives as well. I also um, want to shout out the, the music real quick. Go ahead, Lena. The, the music? <laughs> the music as well. Yeah, the music is a big part of the show, and we have a lot of artists that are on our Hillman Grant record label, like Davion Ferris and Jalen Josie are also featured a lot this season. Um, just want to get that out there. So how do you, like, we've got less than four minutes left, but now I'm sitting here thinking, how do you do all of this? You're doing television shows, you're doing movies, you have a record label. How do you keep all these plates spinning? I think that's a question I mean, for we, the we'd be remiss. <laughs> Our, our book publishing uh, uh, endeavor with Zandos as well. But I think we do it because we have a phenomenal team of people that is led so graciously and with love by Rishi. And every single person at the company has a great heart. They have um, you know, just great heads on their shoulders. And they're extremely passionate about what they do. And we give a lot of people autonomy. They get a chance to be the leaders of their own ships. And so, in essence, I'm honored to be, you know, just a part of these fleet of ships that are pretty much floating in the same direction. But go ahead, Rishi. 
No, that's it. It, it. It's all about our team and it's all about the people that we have working at the company and across this, you know, film and TV and our record label under Def Jam, our book publishing division under Zando, our podcast side. We're launching a fashion line this year called Helmet Heritage. Um, we're getting into the branded content space as well. But, um, you know, Lena puts a lot of trust in us, the team, and that's something that we haven't gotten a lot, I think, a lot as people of color trying to make it in Hollywood. And so because of that sort of respect and autonomy that we've delivered to the team members, people want to be able to deliver on their own projects as well. And so I'm very grateful for what we built, and I think we're only going to you know, keep going up from here. I just want to say um, I'm I'm doing this interview um, from home, but I also have to keep my eyes on on what's happening in the news. And as you were as you were responding, Rishi, an ad for the shy was on the television. It was just a little <laughs> a little surreal, a little surreal moment there. Real quickly, in the minute that we have left, um, Lena, then then Rishi, real fast. If you had one piece of advice. Uh, to young artists about using their their voice through art, what would it be? Lena first. Uh, be obsessed with the craft. Be obsessed with the craft and be vulnerable in the work, and you can't go wrong. Hmm. Rishi. Don't ever try and write to the marketplace. Write about what you want to write about, write what you're passionate about, and that's what's going to help you stand out. Rishi Rajani, Lena Waith, this has been such a great conversation. I wish we could keep going, but thank you both very, very much for coming to Washington Post Live. Amazing. Thank you for having thank us. Thanks for listening to Capehart. It's produced by Nick Roberts. We'll have new episodes for you every Tuesday. I'm Jonathan Capehart. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ.